Good morning. This morning I'm going to play the part of Nehemiah. Now, you see all around and on the platform behind me different wintry decorations, and sometimes they're called Christmas decorations. And we're going to hang out in Nehemiah today. Did you know that Nehemiah is a Christmas story? How many of you knew that? Nobody? Now, think about it. We think of the famous prophecies. This past Wednesday night, Mr. Densmore told us about the Proto-Evangelicum, which is the first proclamation of the good news, the gospel, way back in Genesis chapter 3. That's the first proclamation in that there would be a seed born of a woman that would crush the head of the serpent, Satan. Well, throughout all the Bible, there's the promises and prophecies of the coming of the Messiah. And yet we read in Nehemiah, and it's not so obvious. How is Nehemiah a Christmas story? What does it have to do with Christmas? Well, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. And I'd like to show you one little phrase to start off as to where we see this as a Christmas story. You're going to have to put your thinking caps on because God in his brilliance has given to us things that we have to sometimes study out and we have to compare Scripture with Scripture. I'm going to give you a little hint. If you look at Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 8, I'd like you to do some thinking. I'd like you to do some studying. Look at that verse and tell me if you can find the Christmas story there. Just so you know, this is meat level. You're going to have to really think, and you're going to have to know some other things. So you look at it, and if you think you know what the part is relating to the Christmas story, you just raise your hand and let me know. And just so nobody is afraid, I don't expect many hands. I hope there's maybe one or two. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 8. Is there a Christ, the Christmas story in that passage? Is there something relating to Christmas? Let me read it to everybody. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me, according to the good hand of my God, upon me. Anybody know how Christmas has to do with this verse? I'm going to test your Bible knowledge. I'm going to give you two other events or things that happened and see if you can connect all three. Daniel chapter 9, when Daniel was praying and the angel Gabriel gave him the vision of, can anybody fill in what we call that vision? The 70 weeks. And the other passage is the wise men. The wise men. 
Anybody know what I'm talking about? How is this the Christmas story? How is this connected to the wise men? How is this connected to Daniel chapter 9 when the angel Gabriel gave a vision and a prophecy to Daniel? Anybody know? Oh, well, then you should be excited today because we're going to be wise men. We're going to be wise men. Elijah, you think you know? What do you think it is? That's, that's how they would know. He asked about how they would know where Jesus was born, but that's not what the t- parallel is here. Well, let's get excited about being wise men today because we're going to find it out. There's a reason why the wise men came to Jerusalem, and there's a reason why the wise men were looking for a king to be born. And it's because they were knowing and understanding Daniel and Nehemiah, and their history, and they were excited. So let's get excited ourselves. We're going to get to it in a little while, but let's set the stage here and the scene of what's taking place. I am Nehemiah, and I have a very special job. Shalom, do you know what Nehemiah's job was in Shushan the palace? You don't? Who knows? I'm, I'm giving you a little hint. Hannah, what's my job? The king's cupbearer. Now, does that sound like a fun job? (laughs) Well, if everybody loves the king, it might be. But you know what? I don't think there's ever been a king any time in any part of history, including the king of kings, where somebody didn't hate him. Even the best of kings. The king of kings, Jesus, is hated by many. Well, you know why that's a troubling thing to be a king's cupbearer? You know what a cupbearer does? Well, all of the food, and particularly all of the drink of the king, the cupbearer has the responsibility to make sure that it is safe and is not poisoned. Because, see, if somebody wants to kill the king, a good strategy would be to put poison in his drink, in his cup, or in his food. And so kings were smart guys. They found trusted people who would watch over their food, and before they would eat it, these trusted people would eat or drink before the king would. How many of you want that job? Mmm, not so sure I'd want that job. Well, here is illustrate something amazing about Nehemiah. Nehemiah is considered by people, not even Christian people or Jewish people, to be an incredible leader. And what's amazing is that when we find him at the beginning, he is a servant, the most trusted in the kingdom. See, he's not just this guy that stands next to the king and the cook makes everything and hands it over to him and he takes a bite and then gives it to the king. Oh no, if you've got this job, you're going to be watching over the food process for the king from the very start all the way through till it gets into his mouth. Why? Because your life would be in danger. If somebody wants to kill the king, why? They're going to have to get through you. Nehemiah, he is the king's cupbearer. That tells us something really special about Nehemiah, and that is that he is a man who is trusted. He's a man who earned that trust with integrity, character. That's a model. That's an example for all of us. 
do we live our lives in such a way that people see us and trust us? You know, the only way we're going to live such lives is if we let Jesus live his life through us and we obey him every day. Christians should become trusted people. In fact, if you consider some of the horrific regimes even in the modern world and some of the monstrous dictators we've had in my lifetime, there's reports coming from some of these countries that these extreme dictators will sometimes put in their closest care and servitude Christian people. While at the same time, they kill Christians. It makes no sense, but it's actually happened. Heard of the famous Saddam Hussein? It said that he used to take as his most trusted servants Christian people. Huge parts of the kingdom, he would be persecuting them, but when it actually came to the people who were taking care of his actual palaces and places, it's reported that he would put Christian people there. Why? Because he knew he could trust them. That's kind of an oxymoron, I know. But it's interesting. It's true. It's also true here now. In the days of Nehemiah, he's a cupbearer. It tells us that while Nehemiah was there as a cupbearer, and we find that we're in the year, could I have the screen up here, Ethan? We're in the year 445 BC. So we're about to learn about the third return, the third return under Nehemiah. If we put that on a timeline, we remember Ezra in 558 came back in the second return to beautify the temple and to teach the people the law. And here now it's 445 when the decree to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem comes. Here we see people have come back from Babylon, and that's been exciting. Shushan is where we're also going to learn about some places over there. These are where we're at in the places. But you know what's going on over in Jerusalem? Don't know? Well, Nehemiah here, it tells us it's in the 20th year of, of the king there that he was in Shushan the palace. That's the winter palace over here, way over here. And it tells us that a man came from Judah. Now, we get Christmas cards, don't we, and Christmas letters. We want to find out how people are doing. Well, have you ever had a friend who lives far away? especially if they live somewhere where you used to live, and then you want to hear news from home country. So there's a friend, a brother of, of Nehemiah, who comes to Shushan the palace. His name is Hanani. He says, one of my brethren, he came, he and certain men of Judah. And I asked them, tell me, tell me, concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left to the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. I want to know what's going on in Jerusalem. I want to know how the Jews are doing. The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Oh, that's not the news I was expecting. Terrible, terrible, terrible news. It's just they're in great distress. Well, it tells us that Nehemiah records here, and it came to pass... When I heard these words that I sat down and I wept and I mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Do you remember that lesson from last week? What was the big lesson we learned last week? 
the importance to pray. We're going to find that again today. We looked at this prayer last week a little bit. Here, Nehemiah, he prayed. I'd like to just read the prayer again because there's beautiful things in this that we can learn as we learn to pray. He prayed and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out into the uttermost part of heaven, yet will I gather thee from thence, and I will bring thee into this place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou redeemest by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee. Let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. Here is a prayer of Nehemiah that he has that God would give him what is it? Mercy in the sight of the king. Now, if we look at the first verse of this chapter, do you see when it says that this news came to Nehemiah? Kislev, which is also known, we talk about it as Kislev, the ninth Jewish month, which matches our November-December. And it says here that he prayed certain days and mourned. How many do you think? I don't know. But the next date that's given, well, let me show it to you here on the calendar. We're in November, December, about this time of year, when he first heard the news, and he begins praying. And by the time we find a next record of event, we come to the first month of the Jews, the month Nisan, which is our March and April. So do you see how many months passed from the ninth Jewish month, 9, 10, 11, 12, to the first. That's quite a few months. And Nehemiah, he is praying all this time, asking for God to lead him. You know, I think that's part of Nehemiah praying without ceasing. He is truly seeking God. And then it says in chapter 2, it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. Well, who is Artaxerxes the king? Well, I have a king and queen here who have been recruited. I don't know if I can say they volunteered. They have rec been recruited to be Artaxerxes and his queen. You guys come sit on your thrones. Hey, are you volunteering for next time? Well, the king and queen are here. And 
I'm what? I'm the cupbearer. I spend a lot of time with the king and queen. And most of the time, apparently, I must be a pretty cheerful guy. Because on one particular day here in March or April, I come to the king to present to him the wine that is before him. And I come and I give it to the king after making sure it's safe. But on this particular day, the king noticed something. Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad? In the city, the place of my father's sepulchres lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. For what dost thou make a request? Now let's pause right here for a moment. Look at your Bibles, please, I beg you. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 4. We have this conversation going. And the king says, For what dost thou make request? And then it says, Nehemiah's record, So I prayed to the God of heaven. I'm curious. I'm very curious. Was this one of those things that people call lightning prayers? Like, oh, God, help me. Or just in your mind. Or do you think that Nehemiah actually audibly prayed a prayer in front of the king and queen? I have a theory. I can't prove it but I have a theory. You know that prayer we just read in chapter 1? Do you notice how that prayer ended? And grant him mercy in the sight of this man? I wonder if in that very moment when the king asked him, for what dost thou make request? I wonder if Nehemiah actually right there in front of the king prayed to the king of heaven this prayer. Do you think that would have been maybe awkward? Possibly. Possibly. I don't know that that's what happened. It may have been just to, oh, God, help me. But there are some hints here, and especially as we get to know Nehemiah, where it would make perfect sense that in the very presence of the king, he prayed the prayer recorded in chapter 1. We know it was at least his passion. So I prayed. I wonder about this as I'm thinking, you know, sometimes that might do you good when you have a situation, just stop and pray. You know, ever, ever been to a business meeting and, you know, just somebody stopped and prayed for the meeting? I'm talking about not a church business meeting. I'm talking about like an actual job in the world, stopping and praying. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. We have to be careful that we're not doing it to be seen of men. Look at me, I pray. Ooh, not that. 
but a true and humble. Lord, help us now. Help us. If our relationship, see, I'm your, I'm your cupbearer, and, and it's possible that we have a relationship in the sense that maybe he's heard me pray many times. Maybe every time before I give him the food, I pray over it. That wouldn't surprise me. And here, the king asks me. And so I say to the king, if it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me into Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulcher, that I may build it. For how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? Twelve years. This is kind of interesting. I don't think he wants to lose me. What do you think? I don't think he wants to lose me. He's not sure where he's going to get a better cupbearer. He doesn't want to lose me. How long are you going to be gone? Now, it tells us here that, well, it's, he says that I set a time. And it's not recorded here. He set a time. It's not recorded. But what we find out later in the book of Nehemiah is that it was actually 12 years. Now, I wonder if I told you three months, six months, a year. What I told him at this time isn't, it's not recorded here what Nehemiah did. But we later find out that it was actually 12 years that Nehemiah was away from the king. That's a long time. Do we have any 12-year-olds here? That's like your whole life. Nehemiah is going to be away from the king, and the king's not too sure he likes this, but nonetheless it says, so it pleased the king to send me. And so then I said, if it pleased the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And so you know what? He does that. He gives me letters. Letters that authorize here is a fulfillment of prophecy. Right here is the Christmas story in Nehemiah. It's in this proclamation. It's in this decree, the decree of the king to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem because at this very moment triggers a timeline. A timeline that the angel Gabriel... See, Gabriel is in the Christmas story before he appears to Mary. He appeared several hundred years before to Daniel, and he prophesied that a king would issue a decree to rebuild Jerusalem, and when that decree was issued, the clock would start ticking for when Messiah would come. That's why I believe the wise men were looking and knew the time and the season. This decree is it. This is when the clock starts ticking for when the Messiah is going to come. Right here is the Christmas story declared. The king granted me 
And if you look here, do you see the last phrase of that verse? Can somebody shout it out? What is the last phrase? According to what? The good hand of my God upon me. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what was true for Ezra 15 years ago. And you know what? That's exactly true for us today. Oh, over 2,000 years later. The good hand of the Lord is upon us. Will we humble ourselves under his hand and let him lead us? Thank you, your majesties. You can do whatever you wish. Of course, you're king and queen, so if you'd like to go back to your seats, you may. For here is issued. Nehemiah, he gets this letter. Here it is. He gets these letters. He gets this decree to go back. We don't have a lot of time this morning, but just to remember, Daniel, remember he was praying and he was praying. He was praying for another prophecy to be fulfilled. And then the angel came and gave him a prophecy about this event. They're planning to rebuild, rebuild the temple. This fits in to our third return. It's right here. This is the event, 445 B.C., the decree to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem in Nehemiah 2. How does that fit into Daniel's 70 weeks? Well, here is a graph of those 70 weeks, and it's right there at the beginning of it. That started the clock. That started the clock that very likely the wise men had seen. We're not going to take a lot of time to go through this, I'd hope, but we don't have much time this morning. But this is what that, that Daniel's 70 week looks like with this event in it. Daniel was told by the angel Gabriel that 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. That's the city Jerusalem. Here they are. You see the white bar representing, the first white bar rep representing 69 weeks and the last bar representing the 70th week. At the beginning, Jerusalem is desolate. But he says that these things are determined upon thy people for these purposes, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. At the end of these 70 weeks is when the most holy is going to be made king of kings. That's the beginning of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ when he reigns 1,000 years. But what starts this? It says in the prophecy, from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem. There's when the timeline starts. That's when the 70 weeks starts. So how did the wise men know that they were getting close to the Messiah coming? Because of this prophecy. For it says, from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem. That was March 14th, 445 B.C., as recorded in Nehemiah, the 20th year of Artaxerxes in the first month of the first day, until it tells us Messiah the Prince shall be 69 weeks or seven weeks and three score and two weeks. All calculated out there. You can see all the details. There's a great book. We're not going to talk about it all this morning, but it's this particular time, calculated time, to Messiah the Prince. This is the decree that started and triggered that. And then we find out that would be calculated out to April 6, AD 32. Now, it goes on to prophecies because we have then a parenthesis because he will be cut off after 69 weeks. What's that mean? The Messiah, the prince, will be cut off. The Messiah is crucified. The Messiah is cut off. The city of 
and then there's a prince that shall come. This is yet future. This is the Antichrist. And the city of Jerusalem is destroyed again in AD 70. And then we have the prince that shall come. And that's last week is seven years split in two, three and a half years, or, or yeah, three and a half years, three and a half years, 42 months, 12, 60 days. Revelation and Daniel pieced together here in the 70th week. And this is encompass the entire millennial reign of Christ when the Messiah will return with power. And so what we see here is that Nehemiah chapter 2, this reference here of the good hand of God upon me, is true from all this history, all of this detail. And I believe that this is what the wise men, remember them? They saw. They saw this. They saw this coming. And they were excited about it. And when they saw that star, they said, that must be the trigger. The Messiah's here. The Messiah's here. And they made that journey. And we know the story, don't we, of how those wise men came and they worshiped Jesus. Because perhaps it's because of this. I believe most likely because of this. This letter, this decree, that challenges me in a way. I told you at the beginning that we had, that the question I had for you was a meat level question, didn't I? What does Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 8 have to do with Christmas? Well, when we look at Daniel 9, this, and the history of the Magi, we can see how the good hand of God is fulfilling prophecy. All of Jesus. You see, the prophecies about Jesus didn't start in, in, in the weeks before or months before Jesus was born. They, this is actually one of the first point-blank fulfillments of prophecy right here about Christmas. The decree that went forth to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And again, look, according to the good hand of my God upon me. God's hand is good and it's upon us. So you know what Nehemiah does? He goes to Jerusalem. That's no surprise, is it? And he is on his way to Jerusalem and, and it tells us that then I came to the governors beyond Jordan and I gave them the king's letters. You know, there's some guys right over here. You see them? You guys been seeing these guys over here? Do you know what their names are? Tobiah. Yeah, you all know Toby. Tobiah, yeah. His name's Tobiah, and he's the servant of Sambalat. And, oh, and here, here, perhaps you're one of those that get this letter. Be gentle with it. That's genuine papyrus. Well, you know, these guys, when they get it, they hear of it, and it grieved them exceedingly. They're not very happy. Well, there's a few things that happen with these guys. I suspect them. Do you guys suspect them? 
they look a little troubling. Guys, just jump, just jump to chapter 4, because that's what you're thinking. You don't talk to me yet. You guys are right there thinking about me. You're thinking about me. What are they thinking about me as we are about to rebuild the walls and they think of all of this? <laughs> what does this thing will do? Will you rebel against the king? <laughs> Keep laughing, but all of you think about these guys here. What did I just deliver to them and deliver to the governors beyond the river? I think they're going to do something really powerful. Letters from the king granting me permission to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And not only permission, but granting me access to royal resources. And do you hear what these guys are thinking? Will you rebel? They can't help but laugh. See, they're really... They only have two choices, laugh or cry. And they want to cry, so instead of crying, they laugh. They don't want the city of Jerusalem to be rebuilt. So, what is this thing that you rebel against the king? Well, we're going to find out later when Nehemiah interacts with them that he declares to them, the God of heaven will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. You know what's amazing to me? Nehemiah could have appealed to this letter. He could have taken this letter and said, Here, look, this is what the king said. But did you see what he does? And it tells us that he says that the God of heaven, he will prosper us. Well, when they begin to build this wall, and we're not quite there yet, so, but I want you to flash ahead here because this is what they're thinking. This is the way their attitude is in all of this. What are they thinking? Well, it tells us that they had great indignation. They were wroth. They mocked the Jews. And they spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria. What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice and make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? <sighs> even that which they build. If a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. I give you that little jump ahead glimpse because I want you to put yourself in Nehemiah's shoes. Those are the kind of people he's going to have to deal with. Does he need the good hand of God upon him? He sure does. And he needs to be trusting and obeying God. So do we. So do we. You know, the prophecy of Daniel, 70 weeks, isn't completed. Prophecy isn't completed. Yes, Jesus has come, but the Messiah was cut off. But yet all those things that were listed, the anointing of the most holy hasn't yet happened. And we are here in this place here now, and we've got a task. Do we follow and obey our God 
And do we let his good hand guide us? And are we praying? Praying without ceasing, like Nehemiah did. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give thanks to you that you keep your promises. Wow, it's so amazing. We have such a hard time planning our days and keeping things on schedule. Yet, you're able to make promises hundreds, thousands of years in advance. And it all works out in your perfect way. Even to the day, we are amazed. When we consider that, may we then trust you as you guide us as you give us direction in your word that sometimes doesn't make sense or is paradoxical, help us to see your wisdom and that your ways are not our ways and your ways are better and help us to obey and help us to trust you. No matter if people mock or persecute, whoever the Sambelots and the Tobias are, Lord, I pray that in all these we would keep focused on you, trusting and obeying. We commit ourselves to you in the rest of this day as we pray in your name. Amen.